We're gonna bring y'all into our huddle. You are in Where's Huddle with me, Bram, no Maxime today, but with me per usual, my boy and producer Marcus. What's up, Dev Nation? MT, I couldn't be more fired up to announce that the first time in the Warriors Huddle, the man who set a collegiate record in block shots with 492, despite only playing three seasons at Colgate, the founder of Democracy Matters, a nonpartisan student organization that is active on more than 80 college campuses today, the eighth pick in the 1997 draft to your Golden State Warriors, the player who blocked more shots in a Warriors jersey than anyone at any time ever with 1,140, one of only eight NBA players in history who was inducted into the World Sports Humanitarian Hall of Fame and a guy who has done so much on and off the floor that his home nation of St. Vincent has honored him with his own national postage stamp Mr. Donald Foyle, what's going on, Donald? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for that awesome introduction, <laughs> man. It's really good to meet you guys. Uh, you'll find as we go forward here today that I've stocked you in uh, in preparation. I could not be more impressed. And for as long as I'm admitting things, let me admit this. There's pressure on today, Donald. So we Uh-oh. reached out, we let uh-huh. people know via social media, you'd be joining us. And we got a ton of positive feedback. Um, here's one of them. Donald wow. is the epitome of class on and off the floor. Here's another. Foyle was a monster defensively with an exclamation point. See if you can get him <laughs> signed up as an assistant coach. Another, uh, please remind, uh, remind Donald of how much he has loved. But here's the biggest one. All right. Uh-huh. So maybe about two months back, we had Tim Roy on the show, who's a, a friend of the podcast. And we threw him a softball. We asked him, all right, you're going to be stuck in a 10 hour flight and there's nothing to do, nothing to read, nothing at all. You can pick one player in the uh, history of all the people you've, you've ever sat next to or covered. Here is what Tim told us. You are stuck on a 10 hour flight. You got to kill some time. You can pick anybody to be in the seat next to you to be a conversational partner. Who do you pick? The Donald Foyle. Uh, he's, he's, he's the only player that I've ever, uh, had the pleasure of being a friend with that would literally come to the back of the plane where the, you know, the broadcasters and the other staff members sit and he would have the op-ed page of the New York times and he would point to it. So we have to talk about this and we would sit down. So he, um, he's, he's just a, a wonderful man. And, uh, you know, he has a world view. You know, he uh, used basketball to help other people, and that that's a really, really cool thing, a really cool attitude. And and let's face it, he was a you know he didn't get to play at a time where the Warriors were, were very good, but you know he's truly one of the better shot blockers that this franchise has ever had. So as you can see, uh, Donald, the pressure's on me a little bit today. Um, so if you know there's a fumble on a question or a Wi-Fi hiccup, just pretend that it didn't happen. It's just me. Right coming to that pressure there you go <laughs> um i've got a million warriors questions for you but okay. i'd be insane if i didn't start some stuff about you so here's my first i know you're born <clears throat> excuse me in saint vincent and i know you also moved to the u.s first through pennsylvania and then to new york where you won two state titles with the emerald knights here's my question so I'm not good at new things. I don't try new restaurants. You know, I go to like Alameda and I get nervous. What's it like going from St. Vincent 
and then being a high profile athlete in a huge setting like New York? What's that transition feel like? I don't know if there is a transition, right? So um, I, when you think about, I came from an island of about, uh, and Canawan, there was probably about seven, 800 people when I was growing up. And and Union, we had like a booming metropolis, which is about probably 5,000 people. So to leave the Caribbean and to end up uh, in, beat upstate New York and Philadelphia, I mean, the first thing that I just, was not ready for and they straight up lied to me so i went to hamilton new york in the summer in august it's beautiful it's amazing and in the first year we had a blizzard which had more snow than ever in the history of hamilton which is insane and then the next year they had another blizzard which had more snow than the year before so <laughs> i remember calling my mom and say i think they're trying to kill me. The whole uh, country is frozen. <laughs> <laughs> so for for an island person, it was it was pretty daunting, uh, you know, to uh, to come to the states and and to be in a in a in a school, uh, Cardinal Hara High School. My first year in the states had over three thousand people in that school. So more people than all my islands combined. <laughs> Do you? You'll get a sense of how crazy I am as we go forward here. So that's me. As, as a fish out of water as I would be, I'd pretend like it was all normal to me. Like, oh, of course, this is this is how it's supposed to be. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't have a snow jacket, but I'm used to the snow. Did you pretend like it wasn't a giant switch or was it as as weird as I would imagine? Yeah, let's just put it this way. The first time my kid asked me uh, when I first came to the States to sign an autograph, I bust out laughing and ran away. And the kids start crying in a puddle. My, I remember my poor dad. He was like, "You, you gotta sign the thing." And I'm like, "Why? This is so stupid. You want me to sign my name?" It's like I had no cultural awareness, and and I think in many ways, I think that was good because I kind of saw that people were drawn to the game, and that we had a responsibility. I think as athletes. Uh, as to how we engage with the public. And that has been one of the things that I think defined my career because I understood in that instant that that kid was seeing me as something that they want to emulate and how I respond uh, is so very important. And I think it will become part of how I respond throughout my career, which is always assume that when you get to meet the fan that this is an incredible thing that somebody know of you, like you, maybe even like the way you play defense. I mean, I even like it, but you have an opportunity to engage with them and hopefully um, make them into a lifelong, um, you know, believer in basketball. It's uh, the perfect transition. All right. Because what that response shows is the thought that you put into each of your responses. And here's why I say that. Um, so another, you know, evidence piece number two that I've been stalking in. So I know you go to Colgate from the Knights after those two championships. And I know you become the NC2A leader in blocks after only three years. But what I didn't say in the open is that in your biography, you offered this quote about why you went to Colgate quote. I wanted the opportunity to learn the principles of the game in a slower paced setting where the coach would be able to give him the attention he desired. So that is, I mean, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody describe why they went to a school in that kind of thoughtful prose. And you put on top of that, you were sought after. Uh, you had a game where you put up 47 points and 25 rebounds in high school in a, in a state semifinal. 
So for someone who is in the middle of a, what I would imagine, a pretty hot recruit to say, look, I need a slower pace setting where the coach can actually develop me is not the kind of maturity I'd be showing at 18, Adonal, and I'm I'm very impressed. So did you get that slower pace setting in Colgate? Was it the right call? What do you think? A little bit. I mean, I think that uh, in the background of that, I, I, I think, you know, being the first one in my family um, to go to college and having an opportunity to really demonstrate to my family. And and dare I say to the island, I, I mean, growing up, I didn't know many people who had a college degree uh, back home. So to be the first person in that situation and the first person in my family, that, that was a lot of pressure. And my mom had a very simple philosophy and that was, she wanted, uh, she told my step-parents, she's like, and I wanted an educated man to come back to me. So I wanna make sure that, uh, as good as he's in sports, great, but I, I want a doctor or somebody to come back to me. I didn't think she'd think about an NBA player. but So I think for me, uh, you know, Colgate represent a way to understand the game. I started playing the game at 15, so I was really raw and was really behind. And I thought that what was critical for me to be successful is to really learn the game and to be a student of the game. And I wanted to be in a position and a situation where I can experiment and fail and really do what I needed to do to get myself ready for the next level. MT, I'm going to throw this same question to Adonal, but let me run it by you first. All right. So, and what we're going to get a sense of is Adonal's personality type. So I mentioned it. He was the NC2A leader for a long time in blocks, 492 at Colgate. And then in 2002, I think is when the, the number was finally eclipsed. So if that's you, Marcus, and somebody beats your record, are you happy for them or are you bitter about it? Because if it's me, you know how bitter I am. I'd, I'd go out there and like consider hurting the gentleman before he had his 493rd block. Like I just, I don't like that at all. Um, and I, I have a sense of what I think Adonis is going to say, but for you, MT, you, you take it well, you know, who are you? Yeah, I think it's no surprise to the listeners that I'm a little different than you. Um, I, I take it well. I think there's a, you know, there's a, a brotherhood even with um, joining and playing in the college college ranks. Um, it definitely gets smaller when you go to the pros and that brotherhood becomes a little tighter. But even in the college ranks, I mean, there aren't um, that many players that are playing D1 too. And um, I think at the end of the day, I'm, I'm happy for it. Obviously my, my ego and, me wanting to be the leader for a long time um, would kick in at some point. But at the end of the day, I, I'm just happy that my name is still up there and, um, you know, records were meant to be broken. It's it's going to fall at some point. So love that you said brotherhood. I've known you for more than 30 years. We do a podcast together. We are in all respects a team. When you have jokes that I think are funnier than mine, I hate you. And I don't, I'm not like, oh, like, hooray for you. And that makes me feel good. So that's who I am. Adonal, who are you? So that, when the record went down, was it bittersweet? Was it, were you just happy? I mean, how, how did that feel? I think it's both for me. Uh, because I think as an athlete, um, when you, I think I would be more upset if I was in college still. I've always been like, um, in the moment, there's something I can do. But I, I'm aware that once you leave, like there's really no control you have of it, right? And and I think that there's a beauty in somebody going after the record, whether they do it in four years or three years. I think there's a beauty in it because I think for you know the league has gone in so many different directions, but defense 
uh, is one of those things that, you know, I thrive on. And a lot of people still don't see it uh, as virtuous as I do. So I think in, in many ways, it's like you're, if you're present and, you know, in, in, uh, in college, I would be very upset. But I think when you leave, I think seeing somebody take the banner, that, that gives me a lot of hope that do defense, is alive and well damn it <laughs> okay there were so many parts of that answer i enjoyed but i'm going to pinpoint the one i enjoyed the most when you suddenly threw in there if it's in four years or three years whatever you know it's just turns Six. out you might be a oh, little shit. bit closer to me than marcus's stupid brotherhood take so just <laughs> nicely played uh all right let's go back off the floor okay so you heard me say this during the open um in 2001, you found Democracy Matters. What is Democracy Matters? Just to tell us about that a little bit. So one of the things that I that I wanted to do, I, I'm obsessed with fairness, and I, I'm obsessed with um, people having a voice in, in a democracy. I think one of the things that intrigued me when I came to the United States is that, you know, democracy is this this thing that you know I think people take for granted, and how a democracy function and and how people operate. I think it's it's very important. So when I first got into the the league, I started studying the issue about money in politics and why that was okay and why that wasn't okay. I wanted to really wrestle with that because. Um, it, I heard people say all the time is that the majority of the wealth is concentrated in the hands of less than 1% of the population. And in, I think in 2010, the Supreme Court passed a decision called Citizen United. And they basically pretty much said that money is speech, right? So the, the, the tenor of it is money is free, is, is speech. So that um, anybody who wants to spend money could spend it because it's speech. So you, you, your money is like talking. And I thought that there was something fundamentally wrong about that because what it implies is that if you have more money than the other person, you get to speak more than the other person. If money equals speech in my understanding of it. But I wanted, um, I saw the political system as a way that didn't operate within the rules, right? So that you had young people um, care about a lot of issues, but they weren't getting the same kind of visibility or access to political candidates. Why? Because every political candidate that is running is trying to raise millions of dollars, and they're going to go to people who can give them millions of dollars rather than listen to the issues sure. that affect young people, right? So Democracy Matters really was this idea that to advocate for campaign finance reform, and that is basically saying to the world, we need a system where good ideas dominate rather than money. Money cannot be the determinant of who get elected into office, irregardless of policies and stuff. So really about trying to uh, tell young people and give young people the tools to navigate and to basically take back the political system and to make it more responsive to the needs. So we have kids in college where they have gender issue, um, you know, racism and all the different stuff that young people is dealing with. You need a platform in which you can do that. And we should have a political system that is open, that the best candidate could run and not necessarily the person who can raise the most money. So um, a Democracy Matters is really to empower young people to really help them to understand the political system and to make them lifelong engage in politics, because you can't be in a democracy and not engage in the day to day of how that democracy is run. 
I love that idea. And if there's something that's more dangerous in a society where capitalism and democracy cross over than equating money with speech, I don't know what it is, you know? And so the idea of combating that and setting up an education and an idea about why that's not okay is phenomenal. Yeah. I love, I love that answer, Don. I, I wonder, it's the first time I thought of it. So I was half-baked and not thought through, but I wonder if there would ever be a benefit to having the equivalent of a salary cap to a political that's company. what kind of what like we're what fighting could... for yeah so there, oh, nice. so there's yeah. the so basically the the codes basically says i think like if a federal election you can give a one time over 300 and something uh, but the thing that they did that was so devious is that they basically created this thing called a 501c4 yeah. so the 501c4 is like if you give money to a candidate nobody could see it Right. So it's not only did they say money equals free speech, blah, 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 but they also create a C4 organization that literally can have money from overseas, could have money from any kind of billionaire. We don't know. So right now, if you look at the um, the campaign, there are 501C3, which is uh, no labels. We don't know who's giving them their money because of the rules. They don't have to shoot. And right in a democracy, we need to know um, who is backing the people that we're about to vote for. We need to have visibility. So I think that that's one of the things for me. The Supreme Court needs to get really needs to um, overturn the Citizen United decision. And if you want to let people give as much money as they as they want to a political system, I'm in favor of that. I just need we should know about it. It shouldn't be dark money. I'm, I'm going to show you or prove to you that it wasn't just uh, tongue in cheek when I was telling you how crazy I am, Donald. MT, when you landed the salary cap line, when you said that I they should put a salary cap on here and then Donald said, yeah, that's actually what we're fighting for. Even <laughs> though I was off screen, I thought to myself, fuck, he got that one on the money. <laughs> so, I mean, what am I going to tell you, man? I am a crazy person. Back to you, Donald. So, yeah. Uh, you've been involved. It's not just Democracy Matters. Uh, you've been involved in countless community projects. Uh, the Kerosene Lamp Foundation. You were inducted into the World Sports Humanitarian Hall of Fame. You received the NBA Players Association Community Contribution All-Star Award. You were appointed as the Goodwill Ambassador for St. Vincent. And as I said, made into a postage stamp. <laughs> what is it about giving back to the community that speaks to you so much? Because we, I mean, players do this, but they don't do it to the degree that you have. You know, what? why does this occupy such a big place in your heart? I think it's my grandmother. Um, when I was growing up, uh, I give a story. Uh, my grandmother, like every time we cook, you know, uh, in the Caribbean, we didn't have a lot of money, but everybody can cook. And, you know, every time, you know, we cook, my grandmother would cook a meal. She would have nothing to cook. And then she would find something and she would cook a meal. And then all the neighbors would show up and she would give them and feed all of them. And I'll be in the corner just being really salty about the whole thing because I'm looking at all my chicken is going out the door and giving to somebody <laughs> else. And, and, you know, I got really salty. And one day I just couldn't take it in. I'm like, well, you keep giving away all the food. We don't have that much food. And she says, you know, tomorrow we might need them to help feed us. And it was it was kind of one of those things that my grandmother always did. It, it She felt that if you didn't engage your community, you can't expect anything from your community. You have to engage people and help them where, where, where they're at. So I think for me, growing up with that background, understanding the power of influence, and then also just understanding just like, you know, seeing so many players that I've learned from over the years and people that are willing to tell me stuff. And, and so I, I felt like, 
you know, the part of the moral imperative of, of an athlete, you know, people come watch us play. They spend their hard-earned money to watch us play. The least you can do is to be a good citizen sure. uh, to the world. So to me, it's like, it, it doesn't mean I wouldn't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that I'm always going to be right. And it doesn't mean that I don't get tired. But it means that if you see civic engagement and see helping the next generation as just part of the stuff you do, it may not be you know, elaborate. It might just be helping a kid go to a camp. It might just be talking to a kid that needs it about how to get to college and inspiring somebody about how to dream bigger than, than they were dreaming. So to me, it, it really goes hand in hand as an athlete, um, really require uh, needing people to be there to support you. And uh, you have to go back and support them as well. I think it's, it's this symbiotic relationship that that players need to understand that it really goes hand in hand. It's like any business person that wants to sell the product, you got to go out and convince people that, you know, the product is a good product and that you're a good person and it, and it's worth investing in you. So I think that really living that um, is something that came from my grandmother, but has been influenced in every part of my life because I just see us as learning from each other and and growing and helping each other. I love the line of, we may need help down the line. I mean, just, yeah. just kind of understanding the full circle of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was going to save this for the end, but I'll do it now because you mentioned kids. So the 10th annual Swinging for Kids Golf Tournament coming up. It's a thing that you've put together. Obviously, this is the decade um, right. year for. Tell us a little bit about that, man. Yeah, you know, so one of the things that we've been doing is really just trying to golf, raise funds for the foundation. Uh, we've been doing a lot of amazing work, backpack drive. Uh, I think this year... We are um, giving out over 2,500 backpacks. We have sent kids to STEM um, programs. I think in the last seven years, we've sent seven kids to a STEM program in Barbados. And all of those seven kids are now in some capacity, all went to Ivy League and now mm -hmm. is pursuing PhDs and masters. So we've seen almost 100% return on investment, which is a very hard thing uh, you know, to do. So the, the, the foundation has just, uh, um, the Kerosene Lamb Foundation really used basketball as a way to empower and really help educate the next generation of people. So, you know, before you can even get political, you have to understand, like, you know, what is your value and what's your skill set and how you can influence um, your life and how you can find the right path and do the things. So we do everything from literacy, the importance of, of reading and uh, to um, education around peer pressure to uh, making sure kids have backpack when they're going back to school to providing scholarship opportunities for kids going to college. So we do a lot of work really empowering and really changing the next generation. So the, the golf tournament is a way for us to raise funds and come together. And we've been doing it for 10 years uh, in the Bay Area and some of the most amazing coasts. This year, we are Crow Canyon uh, Country Club in Danville uh, and August 7th. But it's it's been a fun, fun thing to engage the community and also do some good as well. I am a horrible golfer, so um, you don't want to see my stroke. Charles Barkley's stroke will be a genius <laughs> compared to mine. <laughs> I wish I couldn't associate with that. If, if you need somebody to make you look good, it might be next year. I'll sit next to you and you, you know, you'll look like Tiger Woods. Uh, so I looked into this too. Chris Mullen, Kent Bazemore, you got Ian Clark this year. Um, and let me let me summarize it this way. Uh, and it's just with a thank you, Adonal. All right. So, I mean, I've got 100 Warriors questions that are coming up here in a second. 
But I'll admit to you, I pretend to be a media member. I'm not. I've been a Warrior fan my entire life. I remember when you got drafted, I remember throwing a high five to my friend Dan <laughs> in his dorm room. And we got all off. He was he was renting a, uh, a, a spot in a dorm over the summer. And I remember celebrating your draft pick. So between what you've done for the team and for the community, you know, let me abuse my power here in this microphone and thank you specifically because I, I genuinely appreciate it. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. But it leads to the Warriors. All right, so yeah. uh, you get drafted in 97, and you're the eighth pick, and the team isn't necessarily in a great place. Uh, they're coming off 30 wins, and you have a brand-new coach in P.J. Carlissimo. But the thing that really stuck out to me, that hit me like a ton of bricks while doing this prep, because, I mean, like I said, I remember your career. I remember the whole thing through it. But what stuck out to me was that six months, six months after you get drafted, the Spreewell PJ Carlissimo choking happens. All right. And so look for people who may be too young to understand what that was. Uh -huh. I wasn't sure how to phrase it. So I pulled uh -huh. this description from history.com. This is uh -oh. from history.com quote mm -hmm. on December 4th, 1997, the national basketball association suspends Latrell Spreewell three-time all-star point guard for the golden state warriors for one year after he attacked warriors coach PJ Carlissimo. During practice on December 1st, Sprewell had a verbal confrontation with Carlissimo where the coach told him to, quote, put a little mustard on a pass. When Carlissimo approached him, Sprewell grabbed the other man around the neck and began choking him until he was pulled away by several other players and team officials. Told to leave practice, Sprewell returned within 20 minutes and threw a punch at Carlissimo before he was again pulled away. So it was that last sentence, and I remember reading about this. We had Matt Steinmetz on way back when. Uh, we have had a few people talk about this. And the thing that always stuck out to me about the story was that Spreewell had 20 minutes to calm down, presumably was in a locker room somewhere, and, and thought to himself, no, F that, and then went back and took over Carlos. All right, so back to you, Atala. So you, coming from Colgate, you know, your career's going fine. Came from St. Vincent, New York, Colgate. Six months in, I mean, you know, six months into this thing, you're figuring out this new coach, and then there's a choking incident, all right? So let me start it with a softball like this. How would you describe the state of the franchise when you first joined them? I mean, what, what was that first year like? I was hopeful. I mean, I was drafted. We had a, a, a new coach. Uh, things were things were looking up. And as you said, it look down really really quickly <laughs> it's like i all i all i remember from that day this the the shock and the horror i had had my parents my step parents that um came left colgate took a sabbatical to kind of help me uh entry into the league and i remember going back home and i drove over to my parents apartment and i said hmm you won't believe what just happened in practice. And I, I explained to my dad what happened to my mom. And my dad is looking at me uh, like, you know, like, stop it. That's How'd you explain it? If you don't mind my asking, what'd you say, Donald? What'd you say to your I dad? Said, uh, um, I said, uh, 
my coach got choked today. And he said, you shouldn't joke like that. That's not funny. And I was like, well, you might want to put on the television. <laughs> and, and I remember he put the television and of course it's everywhere. And he just, he just looks at me and he just throw himself on the couch and I just drop on the couch and we just keep looking at each other for 20 minutes. And he's like, so <laughs> I have seen a lot in my life. That was probably one of the most disturbing, uh, psychologically damaging uh, thing I've ever seen. As a matter of fact, uh, I think like a few months after that, I signed up uh, for my master's in sports psychology because I had to understand how that's possible. I could not figure out why another person could do that to somebody else. Like, how is this possible? And I remember sign up, uh, I, I, I went to JFK and I signed up for a, sport, a sports psychology class. And, you know, I did that, I think, uh, for 10 years until I graduated with a master's in psychology. Did you ever meet with the professor? Were you ever like, okay, look, I was at that practice and I need yeah. you to explain to me well, what the, the hell. Funny what was hilarious about that? Because I I left Colgate, um, I think a year uh, a year early, and I was doing a directed study. So my um, English teacher he said to me, you know, I mean, this is a really new experience. You're from the Caribbean. You're gonna be in this world. You probably should write about it. And I remember I was writing about the season, and and I remember. <laughs> He had a note on the side of my paper saying, is anybody going to do anything about this? This is this could be bad because there were several incidents before that main incident. And uh, and he he recognized that there is a problem and I'm writing and not really aware of it. And I'm looking at his notes and I'm like, OK. And obviously he wrote that, I think, a week before the uh, the incident happened. So that's incredible. Uh, professor was on, was on top of it. You need to publish that. <laughs> you need to publish these memoirs. Uh, the other I thing know. I remember, I'm scared. <laughs> I remember, I remember uh, close ups of PJ's neck, pictures of it being published. And right. you could see it wasn't it wasn't the squeeze marks. It was right. the scratches that ran long. And what it screamed, you know, I've never been in like CSI, but it was screamed is that someone was trying to pull him off and it, you know, and it like, it literally, it scratched him as he was getting pulled off. They couldn't get his fingers off MT. If that's you. All right. You're a rookie. You're doing well. Eighth pick, you know, you're, you're a, a part of the future. You're just also just trying to like, all right, get my feet underneath you. What this feels like. And then that crazy shit happens. So then yeah. the event, the star of the team is coach is, is attacking the new coach. What do you do? How do you handle it? You know, do you like, do you just go to the other side and start shooting free throws and, and hope that it works out? Like what's the move? Yeah. I, I, try to move to the premier league and switch sports. Donald, you may have noticed that the whole brotherhood thing got thrown out the window. Yeah. Suddenly he's a soccer player. Uh, <laughs> uh, picking up your career with the Warriors. Yeah. So you're also a member of that. We believe team. And yeah. so there's, you know, the, the, for anybody who is under the age of 15, you may not know, but like the We Believe was not only a just gem in our experience, was one of the only things as Warrior fans we had to root for for about a three decade straight. It was a while right. before we had anything. And any memories that stick out from that year, that experience? Oh, that was probably one of the most frustrating and amazing year of basketball for me. Yeah. Um, I, I think my first... 
my first week in practice, uh, when Dan Nelson came back, I think he told me, he says, you suck. You're never going to play for me. You might as oh well sit somewhere, right? So I'm like, you know, uh, I'm enjoying this. And Did you then, choke him? Uh, <laughs> no, right? So I remember I was like, he was having a, uh, I think he was having a cigar and the, uh, and the uh, outside the, uh, the, the, um, the practice facility. And he's telling me this and I'm thinking, you might as well just give me a cigar then so we could just sit <laughs> I'm like, if I'm not going to play, I might as well have a really good cigar. So, But uh, I think what was amazing about that year is that although, like, you know, I wasn't playing as much and, you know, I was playing sometime, but not all the time. But I remember Dan Nelson was, uh, I think he was a character and, and, and was very, very fresh in the way he approached the game, really make the game exciting. So I remember, so for example, I, I didn't play for a while. And, you know, I'll go and practice, play hard. And then one day I went to practice and it's like he called my number every single time. And I'm like, something going on here, man. Like he just keep. so I'm in practice, you know, never even pretend. I'm never there. Like he doesn't know if I'm there. And then today I'm like, a dollar, turn five for a dollar. Oh, in front of screen, shoot a three a dollar. Shoot it a dollar. I was like, what in the name is going on here? So I was like, I'm sitting there. I'm thinking I'm feeling good about myself. I look at the roster and he says, you're playing Shaq tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so I got some, I got some run after, after Shaq. And then I was on the bench again for another three months. But, but I think <laughs> what was amazing about the season is that we had a group of guys that came together. And I remember just, you know, just guys starting to say, you know, why can't we do this? We could do this, yeah. you know? And Daniels was like, ah, you guys are terrible. You never do it. And, so we start really bonding uh, with each other and saying, you know, we could do this if we just, you know, get to keep playing, play together, share the ball. And so for me, what was cool about that is that you can see like Baron and all the guys, them really start believing that this is something we can do. And it was the atmosphere was so unbelievable. I mean, Oracle was just just trembling the whole experience, that whole year just not being there at the end of the season, having, I think, 10 days before the end of the season and getting yep. into the playoff and, and doing what we did. So for me, it was one of the most amazing experiences, really enjoying the game, not as me, the athlete, but as a fan of the organization and what we have been through. At this point, I think I had eight coaches and nine coaches in 10 years. Yep. So, so at this point, I'm like, I'm just excited that the fans are getting – something that they hadn't had in so long and and to be part of that um in a small way and to be in that locker room and then seeing you know what dan was doing dan nelson what the guys then was doing and how we prepare for that and and you can see kind of the uh for me it was like a harbinger of what to come because when you look at that belief team I think it it awakened a lot of things in a lot of people and people saw the possibility and I think that team was uh, the iteration of the Warriors as it now stands. I think it started when you saw what that team did uh, to Dallas. I love that idea. And it's another perfect transition. All right. So while going through your career and just looking through all the things that I did, um, it solidified what I already knew. So you've been associated with this team for 26 years in as a player, as a broadcaster, as an ambassador. And during that 26 years, I don't know if any team or organization has ever changed more 
You know, we just heard about your first year and right. now we're looking at a dynastic team, right? And so I just got some kind of softball questions. Let me start here. So I'm terrible with favorites. You ask me something simple with favorite and I balk. I'm not good yep. at that. Okay, so I'm, I'm not going to ask you your favorite memories, mm -hmm. but just things that stick out, you know, okay. at anything, any moments that stick out through your career with the Warriors. What what comes to mind? Uh, I think obviously being drafted, um, that that was huge for me. And but I think it was like the little thing, like Antoine Jameson, you know, 50 something point game. Like I I marvel the way Antoine played a game like I couldn't tell you like what he like how he shoots it like it's a thing but it goes in every time so i mean i'm on the court and i'm like watching him like how did he do that he just throw it up then it goes in the basket so antoine was always kind of one of those people to watch and uh you know going off as he did i think he scored i think 51 with kobe uh, too right didn't yeah, exactly. again the kobe also had the 50 spot so that was like that was like i think for me one of those those moments, obviously, J. Rich Duncan um, was unbelievable. But it was also seeing Gilbert before he became the Gilbert of all, right? Seeing what he was, his potential early, right? Yeah. Um, th there was there were so many, I think, gems in, in seeing guys evolve. Because I think as a young team, we had so many guys coming in and didn't really uh, got to the full potential. Um, but you can see elements of that. So that was that was definitely uh, huge for me, you know, just just experiencing that. And and I think the thing that stood out to me as 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 bad as the team was, and there is a million reasons that you can point to. What has never um, what has never been lost in this and this organization is the importance of giving back. So even in our worst days, um, we still made it a priority to ensure that we went out in the community, meet the people. And the Warriors have done that uh, my entire time there, and obviously on steroids now, but that kind of affirmative connection to the community and really building that early. I think that had a lot um, to do with the longevity of this team, because I, I think the guys them understood the importance of not only what you do in the flow, but going out in the community and making sure those fans know that we appreciate them and, and, and being nice, uh, you know, to, to, to the young kids in our community and, and going to read to them or just go play, ba uh, play basketball with them. I, I think that, that, continuity over the uh, um, throughout the organization is something that I'm very proud of. I can't tell you how much that resonates with me. So just in no in particular order, Antoine's shot. I don't know if I've ever seen anybody take a more consistently strange push shot and have right. it go in constantly, <laughs> you know, like you never totally understood it. Jay Rich's general dunking, but his dunk contest win may yep. have been the most impressive dunk exactly. you know, next to Vince Carter. Yep. And then finally, Arenas. I remember that ascension. I remember before he left, you know, mm -hmm. and then it hurt a little bit when he decided to go to, to the Wizards. But I remember when he first started coming off the bench and he started putting up 20 spots. Yep. And you, you, as a fan base, we weren't sure, like, is this fool's goal? Is this just because it's <laughs> the end of the year? Or is this kid for, and he ended up being, you know, the agent zero and, yep. and everything else yep. that came he with also, He also was one of the first players to pull up, you know, like five, 10 feet behind the three-point line. Yeah. Like, he would he he started that trend. I know Steph. Before it was cool. I, I yeah, before it was, was cool, a lot of before it was fashionable. <laughs> exactly. I thought you were gonna like, say there are, if you look it up, there are highlights and there's a compilation of Gilbert 
doing that. And I, I didn't remember it. And then I looked, I was like, oh, that's right. He did he used to think there and be like, oh, that's a terrible shot, but it would go. Right. So. And first player to bring a gun into the locker room. So, I mean, first <laughs> hey, all yeah. around the board. Not man. a first. Yeah, he's, he's a trendsetter. Um, <laughs> you gave us some similarities. Give me some differences. What do you see the difference under when you first started that first year? And you know, they, were, they were winning less than 20 games and then where they are now. You know, what What do you attribute some of the success to? Well, I think that you cannot deny um, <clears throat> the ability to draft, right? Whatever you think of the Warriors, um, their greatest success comes from the draft, right? So, I mean, there's a, I mean, they, they've gotten brought different players in, but when you think about a team that is able to, to kind of protect its draftees and give them, um, an environment in which that they can blossom and to have continuity, to have the same coach. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know. Like, I couldn't even tell you in order how many coaches I <laughs> I had over the years. You know, I, I'll be over here for a while. I want to, you know, <laughs> but to have somebody in Steve Kerr and to really. So the, the thing that I've always been frustrated with the Warriors is, is that when you have those kind of turnovers, what you don't get to create is a culture. Everybody talk about what's the culture of the organization. What's the culture of this? You can't build a culture if you're having um, turnovers every year, right? So I think one of the things the Warriors have done well, they drafted well. They've committed uh, to, you know, to a long-term coach and players and invested in the organization from having now their own stadium to really um, getting guys to be individual entities. I mean, I think Steve Kerr is one of the first people that – brought in 25 different coaches to make sure every single player and the team has a coach. I mean, sure. so I think that, and that's part of like that cultural set. So to me, that's the big thing, right? Is that you set the culture, you have some continuity, you have good people in the organization, and then you have to go out and play. And I mean, I think when you, when you look at this team, when you look at Draymond, you look at, uh, you look at Clay, you look at Steph, um, you know, Looney, these are guys that, they're not basketball players as they are. They understand how to build community. They understand that it's not all about them. And that is a hard mm -hmm. thing to do when you're that good and understand that you still need a team effort. You still need to move the ball. You still right. need to get easy shot. I just think the evolution of those guys before very eyes becoming men um, and 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 how the Warriors give them the opportunity to grow and make mistakes. I mean, you see Steve Kerr on the sideline breaking breaking uh, multiple clipboards. clipboards. You know, oh, I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, he has he he he's been able to talk to them and deal with them like like grown men, and and I think you saw them not only become exceptional basketball players, but they became exceptional people, and and when you have those kind of people. It's easier to bring in a KD. It's easier to bring in other people because you have a, a bunch of players who have not a lot of ego. And that right. is such a rare thing in our sport. So to me, it's a credit to those guys and understanding what they wanted, putting in obviously the time to do it, but also be open for other people to come in to help. That is, I don't think that people can, uh, people understand how, how amazing that is when you are an amazing player and you leave room for other amazing yeah. players uh, to come and develop. I mean, that is not a thing that you see a lot in the league. And I think those guys should get credit for that as well, because I think that that was huge.
the internal confidence that requires, you know, I mean, it really, that, that's a hard damn thing to do. I'm not sure I yeah. would be able to do it. I don't know if I could do it either. Yeah. To no one's surprise, you know, I mean, I, I can't even give market any credit uh, <laughs> The here, bridge the gap for us. All right. So if you had access to a time machine and you can mm -hmm. put any member, any warrior that you played with on this current team, who would you put on there? You know, who would be a good addition? You got to put the flipper. I got to put uh, Antoine in there. I mean, to get an inside presence <laughs> that a guy that can score dribble. 30 points without yeah. having to, to dribble. I mean, he's like clearing the three, Antoine in the paint, just flip it up. Yeah, <laughs> he would. And and the spacing that Steph creates, right. Antoine would murder him. He I, would yeah. murder, right? Yeah, so, I, mean, I think just like how gifted he is as a scorer and the fact that he's, I mean, he can score out in the perimeter, but I think the fact that he was so good in the paint and one of the things that I think the Warriors need to be good at, be, become better at is just scoring easy baskets in the paint. Um, as, as good as the three is and as good as everything is, I think that you have a guy that can get you a bunch of basket without a lot of effort. That's always an amazing thing. And I, I I, I'm kind of curious about this because imagine if you had Chris Mullin coming off the bench. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. I'm like, we'll, we'll score like 500 points a game. <laughs> hey, I'm in. I, I tell you what, as someone who lost years of his life watching that Lakers series loss and us just missing three-pointer after three-pointer, right. the idea of an inside presence, you've oh. got my attention, man. Let's yes. let's get that time machine built. Let's I get uh, let's get Jamison onto the team. And here. I heard that there is a foil kid that blocks shots a lot. He might help. Okay. <laughs> I thought, I mean, what we need is interior defense, Donald. I, you know, like I, I will tell you that that would be my idea, but I was hoping to make you be pompous somehow like, yeah, oh, well. you know what i want i tell you what i wanted to do right my biggest thing is like blocking a shot and just outletting it to steph and he doesn't take a dribble and just shoot from half court and i can <laughs> i think i can do that like 10 like times you can too. steph would love me it doesn't matter what steve wants to do because steph will love me because i keep getting <laughs> an easy basket so i i would love to do that just okay. Them. Set a pick for Steph and just have him have like a three-pointer that wins the game. And I set that pick. I'll be running around like a crazy person like I did it. <laughs> you, okay, look, you've got our support, but more importantly, you are former teammates with the GM. Give my dick a call. I, I think we can make this thing happen here. We can make this go. I got to talk to Mike. I got to talk to Our support. <laughs> uh, last segment, all right? And I'll go through it quick because I know I'm keeping you longer probably than you wanted. Um, but you've heard a little bit of it because you heard the segment with Tim Roy. So this idea is called First Pick. I give you a concept and then you pick anybody you want out of the universe of people in your live players, past, present, the whole nine yards. We'll start easily. Here's the first. Your team is down one point, five seconds left. You can pick one player to take that final shot. Who do you pick? <laughs> okay. Um, I am going to take Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, I still, I've been around the game for a very long time, and I have not seen anybody been able to uh, shoot that uh, that hook shot, much as stop that hook shot. Uh, that man could get that shot off anytime in any situation. So I want to give it to, to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to give me that that two in the, in the paint. <laughs> the most objectively unstoppable shot in the history of the game. I mean, they just, and if he wanted to get that shot off, he was getting it off. I mean, it just, it just is what it is. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you another one. Take me to the other side. Jordan is going to the hole, getting ready to dunk. You get to pick one player to try to block that shot. Who do you pick? Ooh, I, I did get him one time. Um, 
but I, he did get Patrick really badly. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, hmm, this is a hard one. You know what? I will go with uh, Mark Eaton. Oh, let's go. <laughs> Jazz Center. Just because of just enormity? Just because he's that the Enormity. You have to climb a mountain to get that shot. I don't care how much Michael jumped. He doesn't have to jump. He'd be up there. He was a big man, man. I remember like standing next to him and just looking up like, oh my God. <laughs> he had an enormous head is what I remember. I if you had said a Donald, and I was really hoping you were going to say, Donald, I know, I thought about it. I can see I, it. I can see it in your I, eyes. I had a, I've had a few of them, and Michael, uh, he's hard because he's like, you know, he could change. He and Kobe had this ability. Like I, I always able to time where a guy is going to do with the ball at the last minute. But Michael and Kobe, they had this ability at the last minute to just change what they're going to do, and that is. For a shot blocker, we like predictability. I yeah. need to know where you're going to be and how you're going to put the ball. So bringing the ball in, pushing it out, you know, it, it's it's very hard in terms of timing. But I look at Mark blocking shot. I mean, he can, I mean, he can reach over the basket. So I figure I let him go out and block Michael. <laughs> here's, here's the connection I'll bring. The fact that Adonal was almost your answer means that you were definitely bitter when that guy broke your block record. There's yes, no yes, goddamn yes. way, any other way, shape, or <laughs> Last two questions. Here's one. Same one I gave to Tim Roy. You're uh, stuck. 10-hour flight. No book. Nothing. Nothing but conversation. Good uh -huh. news is you get to pick a conversational partner. Who do you pick? Oh, man. So I've had, this is, I've had, spent a lot of time with Jim Barnett, spent a lot of time with Tim Roy in the back of the plane. Um, but one of the, my favorite players to fight with when I was with Orlando is probably Pat Garrity. Ah, okay. And, uh, and JJ Reddick. So if, if I have JJ on one side and Pat Garrity on the other side, I know we can talk about just about anything in the world. <laughs> so. I love it. You you had the JJ podcast in your life before any of us did. You know, like, yeah, you already knew this guy's uh, this guy's personality. Last question. All right. So terrible news, bad news. There has been a series of misunderstandings, and because of those misunderstandings, suddenly, Adonal, you have to fight Shaquille O'Neal in a dark alley. All right, that's the bad news. Good news is. If you want it, I normally ask this to people much smaller than you. So you may not want somebody, but if you want it, you get to bring anyone you want in that fight with you. Who would you bring to have your back? <laughs> Charles Oakley. Yeah, let's go. Oak. <laughs> let's go. Give me a why. Why Oak? Charles, I mean, that man was a beast. He was just, he's not afraid of anybody. He is tough. He hits you every single time. He's not afraid to take a punch. You could run at him. He, I mean, I, you know, like I remember like hitting him one time. He just stood there like, what? You know, I'm like, <laughs> sorry, sir. <laughs> the great response. And when I, uh, I completely agree with Adana, we took up more time than we promised. I really appreciate it. This was a ton of fun. I am positive. I'm not the only one feeling that way. For people who need far more Adana foil in their life, where do they go? Uh, so we have, um, you know, we can do uh, a foil 3131, um, obviously, in our social media platform. Um, 
But uh, you know, for me, I'm always I'm everywhere, man. Just uh, just hit me up on Facebook. Hit me up anywhere you see me. It's always uh, a foil three one three one. Let's go. We appreciate it. For us, I'll keep it fast. Um, we will be out celebrating the brotherhood of the NBA everywhere you can find us. With that in mind, go Warriors, and hopefully, we'll see you real soon. Good, good. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.